from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. that this country is run for the presidency merely to oppose any man but to propose new policies. I run because I am convinced that this country is on a perilous course and because I have such strong feelings about what must be done and I feel that I'm obliged to do all that I can. I do not run for the presidency. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Sean Astin, host of Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. Or a little more than occasionally lately, I've noticed people seem to be getting a little bit more interested, a little bit more excited about what's going on. And uh, so that was uh, Robert uh, Kennedy during uh, the primary. Uh, talking about service. And the topic today that we have is public service. It's sort of the topic we have every uh, episode, but... I kind of want to say the word public service over and over again. You know, we've we've uh, talked about the Congre- Congressional Budget Office. We've talked about civil discourse. We've talked about uh, a lot a lot of different kind of big ideas. And and now public service. I was, uh, as I mentioned in previous episode, uh, or I'm about to mention in this episode again, uh, was a member of President Bush's uh, nonpartisan council. Every president of the United States. Except, I think, for the guy who had a heart attack after or got pneumonia during the uh, inauguration there in January. Is it Garfield? I don't know. Anyhow, um, every other president of the United States has issued some call to service, most famously uh, John Kennedy during his inauguration speech when he asked not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So, um, Washington had a great riff. So, George Bush, George W. Bush, um, whose politics I, I, you know, vehemently disagreed with and everything, uh, his White House asked me to serve on a council, the President's Council on Service and Civic Participation. And it was the honorary co-chairs of the council were uh, Senator Bob Dole and Senator John Glenn. Senator Dole was, all, was uh, uh, famously... Uh, the Republican nominee for president in one of those years not too long ago. Um, was it 2000? Was it 90? I don't know, whatever it was. And then, um, uh, and Senator Glenn, John Glenn, astronaut. Uh, so that was cool. I thought that was amazing that those guys were, uh, were in charge. Daryl Green, who was a Washington Redskin. Wow, I should know more about what I'm talking about. Was he a wide receiver? I don't know. I expect these phone lines to light up when I get stuff wrong. Because uh, not unlike Wikipedia, you know. I can change in any given minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely certain of what I know, which is not very much. So I was asked to do that. Um, maybe interesting for people to know how I got to do that. I was, hmm, how far back to go? I was campaigning for President, uh, then Governor Clinton, 91, 92, 91, 
And there was an event that Hillary Clinton, uh, first lady of Arkansas, then Hillary Rodham Clinton, was uh, giving a speech in uh, CU Boulder, uh, Colorado University Boulder. And I was asked to fly up, coach one one seat, uh, read, the, read the bullet points and uh, the talking points of the campaign and introduce uh, introduce her, or, or at least speak a few minutes before she did. And uh, Dana, De- Dana Delaney was there, and Michelle Schacht, who played this great um, great Arkansas Traveler album and uh, album she had going at that point. Anyhow, um, my wife, I paid for my wife to come with me. The paying of things, the money of things, is really important to me. I like to pay excessive attention to the money. And people often think, you know, well, you're famous, you're rich, why don't you do this? Well, first of all, I'm not. Uh, rich by most people's most rich people's standards. Uh, I suppose I'm not uh, poor working class either. I'm somewhere in there. But but money is something. When I wrote my book, my my uh, New York Times bestseller. Uh, well, at least it was number twenty seven on that list. Does that count for anything? Uh, for like a minute. Anyhow, uh, there and back again, an actress tale. I go into a whole little bit about money and how much I made on the Lord of the Rings and how much I, you know, what negotiations are like and all this stuff. And and people just kind of shook their head and said, you know, that's not uh, that's bad business. You shouldn't talk about that. And maybe it is, but I feel like people's relationship to money. And uh, now, frankly, that I'm older and a little bit smarter, I am a little bit more circumspect about money. But part of my process of maturation, you know, with my, you know, parents being incredible parents and giving me a career and, and, you know, a framework for an education and, and, you know, love and support and everything else. One thing we didn't talk about very much, if at all, in our house was money, except for my mom would, and she's famously talked about in her books, would make tons of money and then spend more. So she can make a million dollars, but if you spend a million two, you're two hundred thousand dollars in debt. And then the next job is like you know the the thing. So anyway, I spend a lot of time talking and thinking about money. So when I talk about the um, the Hillary Clinton event in in Colorado, I think of it as I chose to pay five hundred bucks or six hundred bucks for my wife to fly with me because I wanted us to be together and uh, they wouldn't pay for it, which I thought was kind of cool. They weren't blowing money on surrogates uh, spouses. Were we married then yet? Yeah, I guess we just gotten married or. Oh, God, I can't even remember. Time is crazy. Somebody else can look up the dates. But anyhow, um, there's somebody ringing on the phone. I don't know if you want to grab that. Um, Gint, if you don't mind, please. I don't think we have anybody else back there. All right, so my wife was unceremoniously shoved into the crowd by the Secret Service. Inadvertently, they were moving everyone back, you know, uh, uh, you know, First Lady uh, of Arkansas, Clinton, was coming through, and uh, my wife got pushed into the crowd. And this tall, skinny Texan named Todd Weiler, who was a guest on this show during our second episode, I believe, uh, reached out and grabbed her and said, no, no, she's with us. Now, he didn't even know her. Uh, he just knew that she was with me, sort of, a little bit. But he was kind of switched on. I wasn't that important. I was in Goonies, and I was in uh, uh, Toy Soldiers. I don't know if any other movies that I've been in were all that successful. But anyhow... This was my first foray into being a surrogate, and when I met Todd and found out that he was a Cobra attack helicopter pilot in the first Gulf War, and he was a Democrat, I was just so excited because I had loved uh, studying the Army, and, and uh, you know my favorite movie was Patton, and, and I wanted to understand the Gulf War more, but I was raised by pacifists, and I just couldn't get access to it. And here was somebody whose political philosophy and ideology was close to me, and, uh, and that was great. So... Um, Oh, you know, all right. So, so anyhow, t- they won. Todd, who had been a, a lead advance person, meaning the pe- person who goes ahead and uh, 
Uh, Tara, I see you blinking there, so if you can hang with me for just a sec, I'll finish the story and we'll jump in. I have uh, from Seattle a young conservative calling, and our show has been experienced a dearth of conservative viewpoints, and uh, I'm thrilled that uh, Michael Medved kind of helped get the word out, and, and that Tara, an average Jane, uh, as she describes herself, is going to come on and talk about it. But I want to finish this story just to set up the, what the topic of the show is today, so, which is public service. So anyhow, so the Clintons win, and Todd is appointed uh, interim uh, White House uh, liaison to the Army and then is made a Deputy Assistant Secretary for Reserve Affairs, Mobilization, Readiness, and Training. And because we knew each other and because he saw my passion for soldiers and their families, because he saw um, my willingness to travel and the impact that I had when I would meet soldiers, then they, they would get so excited to meet me, meet an actor and that kind of thing, that when he was put in charge of the civilian aid to the Secretary of the Army program, he thought it would be a really cool idea to bring some young, young blood in there. I mean, I was pro the, the next oldest age was probably 45. I think I was 21 at the time, or 25, 20, 20, I don't know, it was 1995, so I was born in 71, you do the math. Anyhow, um, so he asked me, I, I accepted to the, uh, you know, s skepticism of my father, and uh, was sworn in by the Secretary of the Army as one of his uh, civilian aides, who carried a three-star, three-and-a-half-star uh, civilian protocol ranking, which meant at all the change of command ceremonies, yeah, I was right there next to the, the commanding general, and, and it was an amazing thing. I learned so much in my 10 years. It was two-year terms. I kept getting asked to come back and come back until I reached the max, and then I stopped. But anyway, I was a year after September 11th on the memorial, on the anniversary, I was in D.C. Um, recognizing people for their contributions to um, uh, their community, community service work. And I went to the Pentagon to, be a, uh, to, to note the, the anniversary. And the president was there and, and a lot of people there. The Pentagon, it was, they were kind of opening it. And I, there's a lot of other stories I could tell you. But basically, a White House, um, I think what's lovingly referred to in that industry as a headhunter, saw me there and asked what I was doing there. And I told her that I was there to present stuff for community service. She said, oh, my gosh, you got to be on our council. We're just now fielding this council. And you have to be a part of it. And I said, well, I'm a Democrat. And she said, it doesn't matter. It's, not, it's a nonpartisan thing. And I said, well, if President Bush is serious about wanting to have a uh, nonpartisan, bipartisan, you know, communication in his, uh, his White House, then I'm, I'd be proud to serve. And so I was appointed and sworn in by uh, Andy Carr, the secretary, uh, the chief of staff, and met with the president in the Oval Office with the rest of the council the day before Operation Iraqi Freedom started. And anyhow, it was a fascinating experience to be a part of that. And I feel like in those two ways, I have you know, in a, in a volunteer capacity twice, uh, done some sort of public service work. So, and also, uh, campaigned for lots of Democrats. So I'm a, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a surrogate, someone who goes out and speaks on the behalf of campaign, uh, of a, for, of a candidate. And I did that for, uh, for Hillary Clinton and then for Obama. And I did it for, uh, President Clinton and I, I did it for John Kerry. So that's, uh, my good Democratic credentials established. But I have now on the phone someone who, uh, I'm really excited to talk to who is a self, uh, proclaimed, uh, conservative. Do I hit the green button? No, middle button. middle button. There it is. I'll get this. It's only six episodes. Oh boy. Is that Tara? That's me. Hi, Sean. Hi. Thank you so much for calling in. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So I know you don't know too much about the show yet. Um, nope. <laughs> what did you hear? Tell me about your this the, the Michael Medved connection. Oh, you know what? I have no idea why I even emailed. He was just talking on the radio that you needed more young conservative voices. And I think I'm a normal person, kind of regular person. So, so far, I you sound normal. 
<laughs> I haven't heard you talk politics yet, you know. Pardon? I haven't heard you talk politics. Your, nor- your normalcy yeah, could go out the window like everybody else. I don't know. Yeah, so, I live in the regular world, and then I just, my, you know, dapple in politics, and so I thought, I should email, so I did, and I didn't really think you'd email back, but you did. So no, I'm, hu- I'm t- he was right. I'm hungry for conservative voices. So tell me why, why would you, uh, w- you know, it's so hard to answer a big, broad, general general question, but if you could, why are you conservative? What Where does that come from? Um, I'm a conservative, I think, just because I believe in, you know, freedom and limited government and personal responsibility and kind of the basics of what conservatism stands for so i think the more give me more give me more what other basics uh, yeah the less the government has control over my life the more i like it so i i see a purpose for government in some things of course i don't want anarchy and crazy running around but i don't like the government very involved so my goal is to have government as small as possible and personal responsibility and liberty as big as possible and i see those two things in a in a relationship with each other. So as government expands, liberty contracts and vice versa. So that's kind of my position. That's where you that's where you got your your foundation there. So it sounds like primarily a, a legal and financial uh viewpoint or or is uh, how about with the the, the hot button social uh, social issues? Do you are you does that animate your conservatism as well? Yeah, I think to a degree. I mean, I have some libertarian leanings in terms of well, if the people vote on something, then I'm willing to accept that that's what the people want. So I'm I'm definitely against kind of activist judges overruling the people and things like gay marriage, let's say. If a state votes for it, well, then a state votes for it, and that's what the people want. And so I'm willing to, you know, accept that that's the type of um, system that we have. But in terms of does morality play an issue into the country and into how we deal in our capitalism or in our business, I think that those two are inextricably linked. So... So, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. But. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, I think we're starting to get to know you a little bit. That's good. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, Seattle is a uh, is a hotbed for liberals, isn't it? So, how do do you feel when you walk around the street like uh, like a fish out of water? Or do you have you found a, a, a climate of that's comfortable? How, how do you how is it living in Seattle as a conservative? Well, I'm California raised and born and born and raised. I lived in California for about thirty years, and I kind of like crazy people so i don't mind it (laughs) i think people are a little crazy up here a different kind of crazy but uh that's okay and again if a city or an area wants to be super liberal and they want to vote in all kinds of crazy liberal policies and then they want to pay for them and live with it i'm cool with that too if that's what people want to do i don't like it when they want everyone you know else to pay for it or for the federal government to pay for it but if seattle wants to ban weird things or do whatever they want to do that's fine all right. Let me ask you. I'm going to hit uh, one or two. Uh, one or two quick. Um, you know, I'm just going to pick one thing that's that's on the on the minds of people watching the news today. That it's a conservative thing. It's kind of test your objectivity level or or your level of commitment or just kind of take your temperature on it. What, um, right now, there is uh, the White House is being charged with having uh, knowingly uh, leaked secure uh, information that's been yeah. published in a couple of sources. Um, and, and so the, the Senate, uh, oversight committee, or whatever committee that is that, uh, that gets uh-huh. up in arms about those things is, is, is really freaked out. Do you, have you developed a, a thought or an opinion about that specifically? Well, I'm a little bit interested in it. And actually both sides, uh, Republican and Democrat are, are a little up in arms about it. They attribute different motives to the administration, but well, I'll, I'll unlock another part about me that might be controversial, but my husband's actually in the military. Um, and he's in a semi, I don't know, whatever, but they keep stuff really under under locked and don't 
say anything that they're doing. So I've been pretty surprised at stuff that has been leaked. And people do get compromised, and it's it's pretty surprising to me that midway through an operation like this recent underwear bomber that they had, you know, CIA operative, the guy's barely out of the country, and they're leaking how they infiltrated. I don't understand why anyone would do that. That's giving away <laughs> country secrets. So I don't really understand anyone's motivation for doing that, and it seems shocking to me. The stuff that's being leaked. I will do you, are you? Uh, are you? Do you think you're going to be able to keep an open mind about it, or or do you, you pretty much feel like you know which way it's going, and you just want to see whether you know responsibility is, uh, you know, people are held responsible. Um, I mean, I, I haven't really put a lot of thought into. Oh, I want this person to go to jail for being leaked or anything like that. I think the general. I think maybe it's a culture of saying a lot of things before we should that maybe is interesting to me. I, I don't understand the motivation to give away secrets or even during the whole bin Laden. Well, the, the, expe- the answer would be because there could be political gain if you're seen to have been successful executing a certain operation. So that I don't right. know that that's, yeah. That's a bit, I hope that's not the case. Well, all right. Here's Tara. Here's the thing. You are now an official friend of this show. I think you're smart. I think you're totally on top of it. You're funny. You're open-minded. You're objective. You do uh, you do conservatism a, a a great justice. And as we get into some specific detailed issues, I I pretty please want to uh, have you come back and and, and be one of our uh, our regular conservatives. Okay. Well, thanks, Sean, and thanks for. Uh having an open-minded conversation over there, too, and I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you so much. Bye for now. I'm going to go thank Michael Medved again. Bye for okay. now. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your show. All right. Bye. So how much, how much time do I have left? Because I want to jump into the Brandon interview. Six Seven minutes? Can we, can we stretch it a little bit on this one? Find out? Okay. I'm going to start the interview. Uh, I met Superman. Brandon Routh, and he was kind enough to let me call him. I'm just going to start playing my interview with him from yesterday. Uh, yesterday, the day before, we I, I banked this interview. I was really happy to be able to grab him. Uh, so have a listen to Brandon Routh, who played Superman and uh, has some interesting political ties. Well, we have Brandon Routh, who has been kind enough to let me call and bug him after our recent trip to the United Kingdom together. Hello, well, Brandon. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so uh, born in Iowa, raised in Iowa, actor. Um, Superman Returns was 2006, is that right? Uh, yes, 2006. Yep. It's such a good role for you because you you look exactly. Like, when I first saw you, I thought he looks just like Superman, and then I realized that you are you are Superman. So, um, and congratulations. Yeah, it's, congr- it's actually funny when people come up and say that, and they have no idea that I actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, just, just one of those things. The comic books, even not just uh, not just the movie that came before you, but anyhow, congratulations because your television pilot just got picked up. Yes. I know you have a movie coming out too, right? You have a uh, about lacrosse, the Native American lacrosse team. What's what's that? Yeah, movie? it came out uh, this Friday, last Friday. Congratulations! Crooked that, arrows. Crooked arrows, and it's about a Native American lacrosse team that kind of works its way through the the Ivy Leagues. That's right. The the high school, uh, the kind of prep school uh, uh, lacrosse league in, in up, upstate New York. Well, you Native, uh, lacrosse is a Native American sport, and. Um, the kids on this reservation, uh, where I'm, my character is also from, uh, being a mixed blood, um, Sunaquat is the tribe, um, uh, you know, have, have kind of lost our, we've lost our pizzazz, we're not very good uh, at lacrosse anymore, so I'm, uh, you know, trying to whip them in shape. Did, have you played lacrosse, or are you like a lacrosse guy? I haven't, I grew up playing soccer, um, but uh, liked the idea of lacrosse, but there wasn't any 
lacrosse in Iowa at the time, back in back in high school. But it's uh, I guess it's the um, you know it's the fastest growing sport in America. So that you know, lacrosse nation is hoping that this um, film can help kind of spread uh, um, spread the sport across the country. Well, it's a wicked cool sport. It's dangerous and it's exciting and it's fast and it's fun and and uh, and I look forward to seeing the movie. I'm sure it's going to be. I'm sure it's great and I hope it does. Hope it does great. But so here we go. Politics, politics. You first of all, have you done? Have you been visit as a as a a recognizable actor, star, person. Have you been visible on any issues or with any campaigns or support of any uh, politicians yet in your life? I have. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was uh, uh, a surrogate for Senator um, uh, Obama um, back in uh, 2008, 2007, actually. Being that um, I'm from Iowa, the um, in Iowa we go first. It was very important. So, uh, I was happy to be part of that and kind of turn around my home state, um, introducing him, uh, in one time and, uh, and a couple other events, um, in Iowa. Do you think they'll ask you again? It's always weird whether they ask you or not, you know? Yeah. Uh, they've asked me to be a strict dude again. Um, and, uh, I think we're just kind of getting into the, getting into mode where we're going to, they're going to send us out, um, and, uh, and do some work. Although, although I don't know, I don't, the work is much different than this time. Uh, I think, being, being that he's got a big, big voice already, and that he's already been doing the job for four years, but uh, I look forward to it. Well, last uh, in the last cycle, that overwhelming feeling of of you know him being a uh, you know transformational figure and, and bringing millions and millions of new people into the system and, and all and money in small amounts that kind of revolutionary way of of funding such a you know a presidential was uh was such a big deal it's different this time i mean do you do you sense that it's different do you how do you how do you feel that kind of because most of the people i talk to feel like it hasn't it didn't pan out like we all wanted it to i'm sure i bet he even feels that way what, what's your what's your take on that well, I, I think um, I, I, I applaud him for um, really kind of sticking to his guns, and I, I think he has from the beginning, and it still has um, in that respect to to try and bring both sides together, and to not just do everything that the Democratic Party wants him to do, but to do things that might be unpopular because it's a it's a way of bringing people together. And change is slow; change doesn't happen overnight, and you have to stick to your you have to stick to your belief systems in that way. Otherwise. Um, it gets swept up and, and nothing changes. Uh, and I think we have such drastic uh, polar opposites uh, sometimes in, in between the two parties that um, it's going to take a while for those to come together. So you have to stick to it and, and, and stick with, you know, that belief system. And I think over some time we will see things um, hopefully come back towards the middle. Um, but, you know, change comes slowly, like I said. And um, I think people would wish maybe for certain things to be um, – more drastic, uh, bigger changes than have happened so far. But there have been a lot of things that have gone under the radar that that have been um, really nice changes uh, as well that just don't get publicized in the, in the media. So much. it seems like that's the case for all incumbent presidencies. They they never seem to do a good job of touting their kind of downstream successes. The the uh, you know the executive decisions or the well the, the media doesn't pick up on that stuff. They don't you know the credit card bill of rights. Um, you know the, the things that are already happening with the med- Medicare, uh, uh, the healthcare system, um, the fight for uh, you know the education and, and lowering of, of uh, or helping to maintain tuition and help with telegrams and, and things like that. The things that people are, are confronted with on a daily basis that just become you know, but, the, but they're not buzzwords for the media to talk about. 
All right. So, and you you think that um, you know everybody on both sides that I've talked to on the show feel like this is going to be, and I, I feel like they're being hyperbolic, but this is going to be the most negative, the most vitriolic, the most uh, aggressive kind of campaign. And but you're you're sort of excited about going back out there when they want when they're ready for you to, and and that you'll be met with uh, a kind of reasonable face to the folks that you're, you know, whether they agree with you or not. You think Iowa is going to put a good good foot forward? Yeah, well, you know, uh, we're, we're not we're not put in situations um, where we're going to have um, uh, fights with with the other side or anything like that, and have to confront. Um, we're not really there to persuade uh, people from the other side to, to come to our side. It's it's more of a call to action, a call to arms for those who um, just might not be who who have uh, similar belief systems or, or or are of the party, but just may not be um, excited enough or amped enough to get out there and, and, and do the, the easy work of voting. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's such an easy thing, but people come become Compla- lazy about complacent, it. So, yeah. Complacent, and so that's kind of what the, what we're here for. The job that I've done in the past is just to, to say, you know, this is important. I know it can seem like uh, it's these people with money just, you know, uh, talking about things that will never change, but, you know, change does happen, and, and it's, a, it's an important part we play in, in, in casting our vote. Um, it sounds to me like a good argument for uh, surrogates on both sides, that you're actually just bringing people into the system and getting them excited about it in a world where, you know, when they get stuff sent in the mail, it's hard to work out what it is. And, you know, the t- television is so uh, negative all the time that, you know, if there's people that they recognize coming out and getting excited, that's a good thing. Absolutely, on either side. And that's what I said when I was, uh, you know, in the primary, during the primaries in Iowa. You know, there were many different um, Democratic candidates and, and uh you know, I was just excited about having people, uh, being able to reach people and have them become um, active in the system again. Uh, the more knowledge we have, the better we are. I think, especially in this day and age where we just read the taglines and Twitter feed uh, information, people aren't doing the research. They're not getting the full um, story. And they're voting based on, you know, like I said, uh, one sentence um, reaction to something. Uh, that sounds absolutely right to me. involved in the political system, the more we invested, the more educated we are, and the more we can make a real informed decision that's our decision and not just somebody else's opinion that we've read. Tell me about your mom. Your mom's running for public office in Iowa. What's she, what's she doing? Yeah, my mom is running for state rep, uh, Katie Routh, uh, in Iowa. So it's uh, at District 25. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, she's running again. Well, I guess there's a there's no one. Uh, she's unopposed right now in the Democratic Party, which is nice. So she doesn't have to uh, run a primary. Um, and uh, so somebody the Republican is the incumbent, um, but they're having uh, somebody's challenging him. Uh, so uh, you know, it's an exciting it's an exciting proposition. Uh, my my grandmother uh, Lorraine Lear, who's now passed, was always very passionate about local politics. Um, Democratic Party in Norwalk, and I remember she was always working the polls, and my mom would work the polls, and, you know, for the presidential elections and everything on the small elections. So it's exciting for now. My mom, she has been a teacher for uh, 35 plus years in, in Norwalk, um, as well as an amazing mother, uh, and uh, she's. Um, this is her first foray into politics. To, I mean, the first, first foray into politics, yes. And she was asked by the Democratic Party um, because specifically because of her uh, expertise in the field of education, and they found that was something that they really needed, um, you know, to have somebody else uh, with bigger uh, bigger outlook and, and, and more 
uh, more experience with to help bring the party. Um, so she's excited about that opportunity, and and we'll see. You know, come 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 November, uh, what the state of Iowa thinks. And but just, I, how I'm does she to get home quick and then fundraise for her? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Fundraise. Okay, so fundraising is where you think uh, your primary value to her, aside from being a, a good son. Do you think raising money, or, or is there a goal? How much? Yeah, well, what's the goal to raise for the campaign? Uh, you know, anywhere from twenty-five thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars, which seems like a lot for such for for state for state thing. But that's how this stuff is. That's how these things are 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 won. Um, even in the small elections like this, television um, commercials, mo- money. Well, and I don't know if we we'll get t- television commercials out there, but but money uh, brings money in. You know, it makes you look, makes you look good and and makes people uh, uh, excited about supporting because. Um, you have that weight to throw around by putting, you know, signs are a big thing, signs and yards, and those those signs cost a lot, and running a website and all those things. So um, I actually don't have this, what I was going to look at for website, but... Uh, what, do you know what the website Facebook. is? It's on, she's got a website on Facebook uh, You can where you can donate um, her Facebook page. Uh, In the 25th District of Iowa for the state legislature. Yep, District 25, 25, sorry, District 25. Okay, so uh, are there any other kind of, you know, it's it's uh, it's always gnarly when somebody who's clearly, you know, if they're invested in education and they're coming from a kind of wholesome place, politics gets, in, you know, intense. Is there anything that she's, a uh, hot-button issue she's expecting or, or, you know, is she ready for that? Well, I think one of the big things in Iowa, I guess with the stand your ground thing, um, that's been kind of a, a bigger topic around the country now. Um, that's not necessarily where I mean, she has definitely, definitely has opinions about that, but um, the biggest thing is going to be education, uh, you know, in, in the state, um, uh, family rights and health care, always uh, a big thing for us um, as, you know, as, as people who are just, you know, my mom's teacher and, and, and you know, people that don't have tons of money, you know, healthcare is always an important issue for, for, for the majority of Americans. So I'm keeping that affordable, especially with grandparents um, and her parents uh, as they were getting older and, and it's harder to pay for all that medication. So those are, um, you know, some of the strong issues that she's going to be able to, to speak to uh, with her own, from her own life experiences. Um, well, I wish her... Be open to listening to everyone else. Yeah, she's going to be, a, she'll be a, uh, someone who's interested in compromise. Uh, absolutely. I mean, as a teacher, you know, she has to deal with um, parents, <laughs> parents who have different um, ideas about how their kids should be raised and how that and having to work just with us within the school system. I mean, that's a political uh, system of its own, um, working together with other teachers, with PTAs, with superintendents and principals, um, people who might not always uh, have the same eye about how to, how to even raise education. I mean, just look at the difference between um how Republicans and Democrats see uh, education. And there are a lot of changes and a lot of differences. So, you know, you have to be able to navigate those waters uh, and, uh, and work together. And well, if, if any... So uh, a lifetime of being able to do that as well. If her son and, and his ability to articulate, you know, across the spectrum here and, and have a, a, a brilliant and thriving career is any indication of uh, the quality of the, the person, I think she's probably in great shape um, as, <laughs> as a mom and as a public figure. But I, I so I wish her well. And um, she, if she ever wants to sort of co- come and talk to my uh, four listeners, she's always welcome. And, and you, I will make a prediction that you do not have to respond to, but uh, but Brandon Routh for United States House of Representatives just has this, is just jumping out of me as a, uh, as a, as a likely thing in the future. 
Uh, well, you never, you never know. It seems to be running in the blood now, but I'm, I'm, a long, I'm a long way from that. Well, go and have a great time doing your show and with your family, and thank you so much for coming on Fox Populi and, and uh, offering your, your insight. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it, and I will, I, will, I, will, I will let my mom know about it. She might be excited about that. And actually, may I say, it's Facebook.com. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash K-E Ralph. I'm sorry, K-A-T-I-E Ralph, R-O-U-T-H dot I-A. Good. Go there, check her out. All right, you did it. Uh, Get the campaign money. Thanks, brother. Well, I'll call you. Uh, I'll, I'll text, tweet, call, send a carrier pigeon. Uh, we'll make sure we're in communication. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. <laughs> you could come into the studio. The only other in-studio person that's been there besides me is my brother, Mac. And, you know, we're just a couple of schlubs. So if you want to come up to the City Walk and, and uh, co-host one day or something, I would love to have you up there. Oh, that would be fun. Bye, man. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you very much, Brandon, for an awesome interview. We are going to take a much uh, delayed break. Thanks, everyone, for your patience. We'll see you back on the other side. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. What's up, Toad Heads? It's Frank Kramer, Heidi Hamilton. Hey, everybody. From the Heidi and Frank Show. Reminding you that if you have satellite radio, you can check us out every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Extreme Talk Channel 165. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Eastern? Uh, on the East Coast, yeah, on Extreme Talk XM 165. And if you don't have satellite radio, well, you're on the Toad Hop Network, so why not check out the Heidi and Frank Show? The backbone of the whole thing. 10 a.m. to noon every single week. The premium package. But you can listen for free every day, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. Check us out, HeidiandFrank.com. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. life that does not include service to others. So it's about that broad concept. Well, I just mean that, well, I mean, especially given a lot of criticism for people in public life and public life itself. But it's noble. It's, it's Phone's ringing. getting in there in the, in the arena and doing something, making something happen, trying to benefit others. And that's noble. I believe that. There you go. President George Herbert Walker Bush, another, uh, another president. Um, talking about the importance of service. So uh, that Brandon uh, Routh interview was, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy um, talking to fellow actors who um, I admire, you know, because they, he had such a grasp on the issues and he clearly uh, cared about what he was doing. Oh, I've got, uh, I've got, I've got Brett, I've got my other, my next young conservative on the phone. Anyhow, thank you again, Brandon, so much. Uh, and, and I would love to have your mom on. You know what would be cool? We have micro debates. Actually, we've had one, but it's a concept for the show where it's very tight, uh, rules and very short kind of thing. And, and I, I can explain it to you, but it'd be really cool if she wanted to, uh, I would invite her to come on to just be interviewed or, or also maybe to get her, um, whoever her, Republican opponent is and see if she agrees to the rules and if they do and it should be a nothing but good stuff there's no there's part of the rules is nobody says anything about the other person they just talk about their their, their issue and their their perspective and you can ask one question but anyhow that would be really fun um I have Brett from Jacksonville uh who has some thoughts on public service Brett let me come here Big Brett Good afternoon sir you're uh, another one of my conservative go-tos thank you for calling in That was a great interview <laughs> which one I there were two right I only caught the second one. I was in a meeting up until uh, just before it started. Oh, uh, you you missed one, uh, Tara from Seattle, who's a conservative who uh, who really just kind of laid down a strong 
you know, uh, broad, you know, just kind of introductory case for what conservative conservatism meant to her, and it was uh, a much needed drought in this, uh, you know, drop of water in the drought of conservative thought on this show. So I'm very happy about that. I have a couple of big long interviews coming up here, so we, you and I, we, uh, we get like one or two questions. So you want to start with a, a question, or you want to, you have something you want to start with? Ah, well, your your topic is public service, and since I've uh, been in public service for about 15 of the 20-so odd years that I've worked, uh, uh, I'd be happy to talk about anything you want to on that. Tell me about the state of public service today. I had uh, someone just called in with, uh, or someone just tweeted uh, that uh, Scarlett Moriel said, Public service to me is anything you do in your life which, while inconvenient, is not impossible and serves to help others. So Scarlett, Mor- Scarlett Moriel, thank you for that. Um, what, do you, what do you think of what she says there and, and, uh, and, and the state of the concept of public service now, you know, through your... Well, your I, I, I think she's pretty dead-on correct there. Um, uh, the problem that I uh, have right now with, with public service is that public perception has uh, turned so drastically in about the last uh, decade and a half uh, to where we're the bad guys now, and uh, we're making too much money, and we're wasting too much money, and, uh, you know, we need to cut this, we need to cut that, and, and I'm all for being, you know fiscally responsible and there certainly are a lot of areas where uh, some changes could be made to uh, to to save money we waste a lot of it but a lot of that is based on the rules that were set up for how money gets parted out and uh, the ridiculous budgeting constraints that we have where if you don't use your money you lose your money uh, so that when you need it the next time it's not there um, but uh, it, the perception has really changed drastically, and it's it's no longer something that's sought after. It's no longer something that's respected, especially in the education sector, uh, where teachers are are now the enemy. Um, and and that that's not just you know the public perception. That's the view of the parents as well. It's when, when I was a kid, you know, if you did something wrong, and you know the teacher told on you, and and you were in trouble. Now the teacher's in trouble, which is really a weird turnaround, and destructive in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, we we um, as as the entire education system in California has collapsed around us, and I've got three kids, and it actually one's in private school now, but the uh, but she was in uh, public school for six, seven years, and and the other two are working their way through. When uh, teachers started uh, coming under attack in terms of their salary, and in terms of uh, down, you know, limiting, you know, increasing class size, and you know, the parents all kind of rallied together and and uh, and really put up a fight for. A couple of the teachers, and also for the uh, computer science lab uh, guy, uh, Mr. Duda, who's fantastic, and uh, just like right out of Mayberry, loved him, um, miss him. Uh, there's another one there now who I don't know as well. I'm sure she's doing great, but but anyhow, the po- the point is that I think uh, it, po- you know public school administration is an easy whipping post, and I think in in a lot of ways. You know, kind of rightfully so, uh, but but it's sad to me to hear you say that. Kind of the general feeling that you get in your life is that people don't recognize the value of the public service of teachers and the people who are helping to deliver an education to our kids. So that uh, that sucks. Well, you know, I, the vote in Wisconsin seemed to be a, a pretty loud exclamation of that particular uh, mindset. I mean, uh, you know. I, 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 that that governor is very similar to our governor here in Florida, and, and his his belief system and 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 the way he went around doing things. And uh, our governor hasn't quite gotten to the point where he's tried to break up collective bargaining rights, but uh, you know he he got a resounding 
uh, approval, according to the vote, from a state that's primarily a Democratic state outside of its uh, gubernatorial campaign. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's a lot of things. Idea. A lot of things you could read into that. I mean, sure, sure. I, I feel sure. like the guy was elected. His election wasn't contested. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. The people who hated it and weren't motivated to do something about it in the election got motivated to do the recall, you know, avail themselves of the Democratic right in that state to do the petition, got their million signatures and did what they had to do, and, and they, they got beat again. So to me, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, political hand-wringing. Is it going to damage the Obama campaign's outlook on things? Is it, is it what does it portend? I, I feel like... You know, there's there's Republicans all over the country who are thumping their chest and saying, "We told you these darn unions were terrible, and and uh, and now we know how to how to break them. We've got some wind in our sails now, and everything else." But it's tidal; things move and they ebb and they flow, and 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 I feel like, but none of that goes to our issue of public service. I mean, that that uh, that is that has to do with money and and restructuring the the education system. It, it's not necessarily. Um, I mean, when people blame the unions. They're not going after the the teacher in the fourth grade class. Well, I I, I kind of disagree with that. I think that that uh, that the, the direction that they're going after the union and is going after the teacher. It's not really going after the strength of the union. It's going after the the uh, the, the the person in the classroom themselves. I mean, it's 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 affecting directly affecting their lives and really doesn't affect the union. Their membership isn't going to change because of that. I mean, if you want to go after the unions. You got the same problem with the corporations. It's how much money they're allowed to spend on campaigns, um, and you know the, the Republicans will, will happily tell you why it's okay for corporations to have the rule, and Democrats will tend to happily tell you why it's okay for uh, unions to be able to spend money. And I, I think both of them pollute the process by doing it. And, and I'll even you know throw in organizations I support, like the NRA. It's just too much money that they're allowed to spend on campaigns, and uh, I I think it can't help but but uh, influence, unduly influence, those who are, are uh, in the process of trying to get elected and their decision-making. Um, you know, it's just it, you will not get elected if you do not appease certain groups of special interests because you need that money. And, you know, and, it, and too, many, too many politicians, I feel, don't do, pay, just pay lip service to those groups the way that some do. And, and there are some that, you know, nod their head and politely smile and take the money and then go do what they're going to do anyways. But a lot of them don't, and it's kind of evident in the, in the way they vote. Well, well, Brett, let me just say you you finally gave me the first real sweet spot opening for me to use in an organic way my slogan. You ready? Sure. Well, looks like we solved that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go play an interview in a, in a minute here. Brett, thank you so much for calling, and I hope you call in next week as well. Will too. Have and keep up week. your public service. I I honor it, and I know a lot of others do, so keep it up. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right, Brett, my uh, my standard. Okay, so this next interview is with Michael Kennedy, and I believe I interview I, I, I introduce him. So let me just jump into that. We're going to play it in two parts. We'll do the first parts about twelve thirteen minutes, and then we'll go to break, and uh, we'll come back. Listen closely because he says some things you may want to comment on, and the recall concept factors prominently in this interview as it did in Brett's conversation about what happened uh, with the governor uh, beating the recall this uh, this Tuesday. Okay, here we go. So I have on the phone with me my cousin in northern Idaho, Mike Kennedy, no relation, uh, husband of 18 years, father of seven children, so a, uh, a practicing and good Catholic, 
and a second term city council member of the city of Coeur d'Alene where uh, my mom and his aunt has lived for 20 I don't know she's not allowed, we're not allowed to say many years but anyhow uh, Mike hello thank you for being on the telephone with your cousin on my I, show I am happy to be here and excited I was listening to your podcast and I love what you're doing this is very cool public engagement stuff and I wouldn't I don't know that I'd call myself a good Catholic but I am practicing so we'll we'll call there you it go. Uh, I've got seven kids to prove seven of my nephews to prove it Nep nieces and nephews to prove <laughs> it uh, okay so uh, the reason I wanted to call you was because you are you're actually doing it you know a lot of us talk about how excited we are about politics I'm doing this little radio show but you know it's really something in today's day and age when somebody says I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and and become a public servant so you've been a, a city council member for two years how's the pay two terms yeah two terms six, about six and a half years six and a half okay so what is the uh what's the per year uh, uh compensation uh seven hundred and twenty five dollars a month well, that's pretty good so, that's not nothing yeah, and, and it's uh you know, nobody wants to know what we what we make on an hourly basis, but it's uh, you don't do it for the money. That's for sure. And, okay, so uh, why do you do it? Because I care about this community. I, I, I've always been involved and passionate about government and politics. And it's interesting, Sean, from the difference between being working behind the scenes. I managed the, an unsuccessful U.S. Senate race, so I saw politics at that sort of high level. And the difference from being behind the the candidate and helping manage and, and being an operative, quote unquote, and being the actual uh, candidate and the office holder, I find that all of the things that I might have, let me say, a lot of the things that I might have felt, uh, you know, been pushing candidates into doing for, for uh, uh, you know, campaign reasons, when you get to governing, it's a whole different ballgame, and it's a very different personal and, and rewarding experience, but there are times when you... Uh, uh, really have to decide. Holy moly! Look at the look at the the rhetoric doesn't match the reality, and I can't do the things that I wanted to do. All of them in the way that I thought I would. So you mean in terms of like it, promising it, spending, that transition's been interesting for me. You mean in terms of like promising spending to people? Like I'd love to spend money on this, and I'd love to spend money on that, and then at a certain point you realize you don't have that much money, and so somebody's got to be told they have to wait. It, it could be that, but more so than anything else, you know, one of my main platforms six years ago was to manage growth in a way that makes sense because our area was really, um, uh, grew very fast, very rapidly, and a lot of people felt very threatened by that, particularly, you know, folks that have been here for a long time. What's interesting is there are certain things you can do to manage it, and certain things you can't do, and for the people that would want you to say no, turn off the spigot and don't, you know, don't allow any new development to come up here, A, you lawfully can't do that, and I wouldn't advocate for it, but B, in some ways, you're either growing or you're dying. You know, if you've got a place that's desirable and people want to be there, how do we manage that most effectively? So I think you, you find people that would rather just to, to just keep it the way it is and, and not have any change at all. And that's really one of the big fundamentals is that I've been here now 22 years, which is uh, 21 years, which is uh, the longest I've lived anywhere. I grew up in New York, but I thought I, I always thought of myself as a New Yorker, but I've been in Idaho far longer than I spent there and it's it's just been a fascinating experience for me to try to figure out that governing or to, to see how uh, actively governing is different than campaigning and I, I am most impressed by the people who uh, run for office 
with a lot of strong opinions and views and rhetoric, but are willing to sit down and realize when they get there, okay, well, it's not work, doesn't work exactly as I thought it did. How do we make those things, how do we get it better and move the ball down the field, even if I can't throw a, you know, a touchdown pass right away? Those are the folks that I think have the most success long term. All right, so I, I try I, to be that, but it always succeed. All right, so I, I made a crack in the first uh, episode of this show where I said something about how a, Repu- a, a Democrat in Idaho is an endangered species. Do you think that that is a, <laughs> was, that, was that? And then I thought, well, you know, that's totally out of line. That's not fair. It's not out of line. It's it's first off, I think most Democrats would would here would laughingly agree with you. What I find interesting is that when I grew up. Uh, my first presidential ballot was cast in 1988 for George H.W. Bush, Bush the senior. And, and I've become a Democrat since then. But Idaho Democrats are very different than, you know, Vermont Democrats, who are very different than California Democrats. It's it's a it's a different sort of feel and, and culture. I think most moderate Democrats in Idaho would be Republicans in other states. So the National Party doesn't always represent. Our interests is that because uh, of social, the same way that we would because of social issues. I, I think a little, not, not, yes, in some extent. Although Idaho is a, sort of a proud libertarian tradition of pushing back on the federal government with any sort of restrictions, it's more in terms of fiscal conservatism and how you spend money and what you expect. There's sort of a Western ethic out here of uh, we'll take care of it ourselves. Thanks, we don't need you know that much help. Um, but I think as much as anything else, it's about uh, uh, issues, if you want to call gun control a social issue, some people do, but that's a real dividing factor. And, and, and people here are Second Amendment supporters. And I always look at that issue and say it's urban versus rural more than it is, you know, a Democrat versus Republican, because some of my most uh, uh, passionately uh, friends on the left, my passionate friends on the left are Democrats, you know, are absolutely all concealed weapons holders and hunters and all those sorts of things. So it's just a different culture, and that's something that I've uh, been fascinated to watch and learn about. All right, so so, so Coeur d'Alene is this very – well, I think of it as a tiny community, but it, you're saying that it's not. But when we talk – our, our last yeah. census, the 2010 census, had about 46,000 people, give or take. And that's up from when I moved here in the mid-20s, high 20s. So we've grown rapidly, consider, considerably. But interestingly, and, and I looked this up because I'm on the board of the Association of Idaho Cities. Uh, Idaho, we're the fifth biggest city in the state of Idaho. But in terms of nationally, we're in the top 10%, 7% of of uh Population in terms of cities, so there's more, more cities smaller than 45,000 by a lot than there are bigger. So yeah, it feels like a small town when I come from you know Texas where I uh, went to college, or when you come from Los Angeles or Seattle even. And it's definitely a slower pace, but we have had we have been discovered, and the growth has been there, notwithstanding the last four years of economic difficulties that everybody's felt. So it's it's forty six thousand and uh, it's a big job. And what's the what's the operating of budget of the city? Seventy seven million dollars, give or take. That sounds like and an awful lot is, of money. I bet it doesn't feel like an awful lot of money to somebody on the city council, but it seems to me like a like a lot of uh, a lot of money. And I know that um, that there's a a long uh, a a protracted recall effort in place. You gotta. Tell the listeners what's going on with that. You, you've been your two-term 
city council member, and how long is this recall? And you're, you're getting close. Well, to there's, two, there's two things. There's, there's my election was very close last time. I joke, I joke with people that I'm a blue guy in a red state. So when I was outed as a Democrat, which I did willingly, um, it's a nonpartisan seat, but it became very partisan. We had a Republican and his central committee running, and me, myself as a Democrat. So it's a very close election, and that's been up for challenge by the uh, guy that lost the election. It's been going on three years now. What was the, and what the, was Idaho, the uh, margin of victory? Five votes. Out of how many? And then out of 6,600 casts. Wow. Is there an automatic recount that kicks in? There was a... You, you, the right to an automatic recount, but the guy that ran against me just did not choose to do that. He just went right to court and sued. And he got a trial in the first district court, and he lost, um, meaning he, there were some mistakes found, which everybody said would, would be the case, but they didn't change the outcome. And so he's appealed it to the Supreme Court. So that's one issue. You've got then you the other. You can set a precedent. Your case can set a precedent in Idaho for. I, I, I did not know that I would be a uh, an Idaho uh, Supreme Court citation in the future for election law, but it looks like that'll be the case, and so I'll I'll sign copies of it for my kids, for grandkids, for posterity. How uh, much money was spent on that lawsuit, or is being spent on that campaign? To... I don't know about the, the the side that's that's filed the lawsuit, but I know that from city staff time and resources and my own time and lawyers, you're talking about several hundred thousand dollars of of, uh, of outright cost lawyers of court costs of staff time and it's been going on for what is like the a charge second. what's the what's the uh what's being they alleged that the county who 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 does the elections the former county clerk I mean, they actually turn over an office in the interim but the form they alleged that the former county clerk did some had some mistakes in his office during the election process and that the city was somehow uh, fast and loose with how we ran the election. But a judge said that was not the case at all. But they're bringing some technicalities to the Supreme Court. So, so it's, it's, you, hard, it's hard for me to be unbiased and be all that neutral. So you will hear a slant on my favor, and that's probably fair to, uh, you know, to, no, to but tell me, disclose. I mean, we're all about civil discourse, but not. we don't want to be boring, first of all. And I also don't want people not just advocate strongly for what they believe in or defend themselves or you know, make an, an accusation that's based in, in fact or substance. It just, I just don't want people to be, you know, doing ad hominem attacks or just you being lazy with yep. their own arguments. But, but that's all, you know, so, but what I want to know is, I mean, it's so, to me, this recall thing is fat. It's been going for three years. Just, so he's not accused. There's nothing, you're not being accused of any wrongdoing. No, but the recall is a separate matter. I mean, it's all of a piece in that the same folks are driving it. But the recall began two months ago, and they have 75 days or something like that to collect enough signatures. And they have put the mayor and two other members of the council, um, they're getting, gathering signatures for four of us to take us out of office. So in that one, it's not just me. There's a, it, Our mayor's independent. Another city councilman is independent. There's a Republican and me, the Democrat. And so... They're going after us, uh, basically, to try to install their own folks, and that's how our process would work in Idaho. If they get the signatures on a ballot, then there's an election for recall, whether you retain or not. And if they recall the four people, then the governor appoints one person, and the remaining council members appoint the rest. The tip of the spear of this is a Tip O'Neill great piece that all politics is local. These folks have been after me, and and the anybody who was not, you know, sufficiently ideologically pure, those are my feelings, for, you know, a couple of years now. But 
they have a project that we have been working on to redo a city park here that is contentious, and they've seized on that contention to be able to try to drive uh, the mayor and two of my colleagues and I stake, from office. What's at stake with the park? How much and what's going on with it? Uh, the park is what it is. For people who don't know, they should Google Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and, and McEwen Park. It's plenty of, of exciting rhetoric, one way or the other. But it's a, it's a downtown park that has been over the years a number of fascinating things. It was a mill site. It was there was a bordello on it. It was the county fairgrounds. And for the last thirty years, it's essentially been some ball fields and a parking lot for a boat launch. So even though for years it has been talked about to make these changes, change is hard. And so we bit the bullet and have pressed forward what to changes? do this project. To, oh, thank you. To update the park, basically to move the parking, so to turn asphalt into grass so that, that right next to the most beautiful lake, I think, in the North America, uh, we don't have a parking lot, but rather we have grass and family areas and the things you can, you know, use a park for and how much what was the initial proposal for the for the, the project there, there's a there was a, a concept brought forward by a citizens commission that was beautiful and uh, would be fantastic but it was more expensive than we had to do how much was so it? we cut that back in half the, the proposal was for 39 million for a redo with all sorts of great amenities I loved the plan as it was, but we didn't have the money. So uh, what we did is uh, whittled it back down to 14.2 million, just under 50, under 15 million. And that includes a, a new parking structure that is hidden from public view on one side and gets all that asphalt back into green space. To me, that's a, that's a simplification of a lot of complexity over the past 15 years that's of planning. Like, I mean, on the face of it, for a park, it seems like a lot of money. Is there, is there I mean, what's the, what's the heavy lifting that has to be done that costs that much money? A lot of rerouting of, of, uh, of, of parking spaces. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the, the bane of uh, uh Is it right there against the lake? Is there like a seawall right there? There is a seawall, and, and that is, you know, infrastructure-wise, the seawall and the boat launch are in need of, uh, you know, uh, upgrading and reinforcement. And so the question is whether we're going to lose the boat launch altogether or leave that and, and boat ball fields and whether we leave them or move them to another place. But ultimately, a big part of that cost is putting in a parking structure. So it's an infrastructure piece. And then redoing and regrading the land, uh, it's 11 acres, and... It's actually a fairly uh, conservative uh, scale back of what the original dream plan was. But nonetheless, for some people, $14 million, you know, we shouldn't spend anything on that in these economic times. What my feeling is, and this is where, this is where you know, the civility issue sort of either you're dealing with the same facts or, or not, what the recall folks have been saying is not entirely what I believe is the case about these these issues. And so, um, you know, they're, they're still going back to the main original number and saying they're trying to build a $40 million park. Well, it's not. It's a $14 million park with, um, you know, the opportunity in the future to do other things if you can raise the money privately or otherwise. But it's really... There. All right, everybody. That is, uh, that's my cousin, Mike Kennedy. Um, just sounding so smart on the one hand. I'm so proud to be his, uh, his cousin. Uh, I can see both sides. I can see the side uh, that he's making, and I'd probably agree with him, but I can also see the other people's side, too. So uh, it's just great to be 
talking to someone where everything keeps going back to something practical. You know, it's a parking lot. It's a park. It's a, I don't know, it's something so refreshing about that. The numbers aren't so big that I can't understand them. And and uh, uh, Hugh, listen, we had a caller in from Pennsylvania named Hugh that uh, I, I was in the middle of the interview, so I couldn't break into it. But, uh, Hugh, we're going to go to commercial. If you're there when we come back, I'd love to hear what you have to say. And then we'll play part two of my interview with Mike. So thanks, everybody. Vox Populi. See you on the other side. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. If you missed Gary Garber live. Now, I saw you on CNN last Friday, I believe it was, and you're running for governor. Now, what, 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 what happened? Why? <laughs> why would you want to do that? You know, you know what? I'll tell you why. There's this, there's this guy uh, who is a Virginia AG, and he's been like on my ass like 24-7, and he's basically using me to get his name out in the press and just wasting literally millions of dollars of taxpayers' dollars. Just some friends of mine got behind me and said, you know what, you should do it, we'll support you. And I decided to run for governor just to put an end to these ridiculous politicians constantly wasting money and doing these witch hunts. Gary Garver Live, Friday afternoons at 3 Pacific, only on the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hey, it's Heidi and Frank for ScoreBig.com. There's been two ways to get tickets up until now. You can go to the venue or team site and buy your tickets directly. Or you can go to the big ticket sellers, the scalpers, if the tickets for the really big events are sold out. And you can pay way, way over face value. Who wants to do that? Who would do that? Nobody! That's stupid. You don't have to do that anymore. Thanks to ScoreBig.com, a great website where you always pay less than retail. And you never, ever, ever pay any ticketing fees at ScoreBig.com. And you can save up to 60%. On tickets. Every ticket on the ScoreBig website is below retail price. Guaranteed. Great events. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, USC, UCLA, Basketball, Disney Hall, Kevin Theater. Mention specific teams in a list. Well, you did. <laughs> and uh, I think that's uh, perfect the way you did Those that. Those were teams in Southern California, but ScoreBig.com is everywhere. everywhere. I just had a, I got a Global. Tweet, I got a tweet from a guy saying he's got his Giants tickets and he saved 30%. Awesome. Thanks, ScoreBig.com. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, not just nosebleed seats, everything from the floor to the rafters. And again, no service or shipping fees ever. Your offer at ScoreBig.com is what you pay. Always less than retail, never any fees, scorebig.com. Then type in Heidi and Frank to get uh, the, the passcode. Skip the line. Yeah. Start shopping right away. V- get your tickets today. VIP treatment. Don't here. wait. <laughs> type in Heidi and Frank. Do it right now. What are you still sitting here for? S-C-O-R-E-B-I-G.com. Proof why I was never a cheerleader. I can't spell. There's more proof than that. Live, live from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. There are basically three important ingredients that leads to some success in public service. Number one, you have to have a reputation for total integrity. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you have to have uh, a reputation for hard work, discipline. And last, and it's very important, you have to have a capability of getting good people to work with you. 
There are basic. Ladies and gentlemen, there was Gerald Ford talking about public service. I'm going to go right away to Hugh in Morrisville, Pennsylvania, uh, who wants to talk about public service. Hugh, are you there? Hey, I'm here. How you doing, Sean? Good. Thanks so much for calling back. I won't call you, sir. Oh, you got <laughs> well. So with you, it just sounded like a friend, you know. When Brett does it, it's I, I'm ready to salute or go like charge a hill or something. I, uh, I, I know, I know. So tell me what. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I emailed you a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Ten years in the Navy, was medically discharged after a motorcycle accident. Have worked in the corporate sector since then. Um, family man of sorts. Uh, you know, married and divorced a couple of times, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, right now, I'm in between jobs, so I'm able to give you a call instead of having to wait for the. Uh, <laughs> that sounds. The that sounds good. What do you think of uh, this idea of public service? The uh, you know Ke Kennedy's uh, Amer or the AmeriCorps idea and, and Peace Corps and um... I I, uh, I really support a lot of the ideas from Kennedy. I mean, when I was in school way back when, because I'm about the same age as you, um, I remember doing a report in middle school on Kennedy because he just you know the whole idea of, of Camelot come alive here in the U.S. and whatnot was just a nice dream. And so I remember doing a report on on his life. And um, even though I was raised in a Republican environment with, with my family, uh, I've become very disheartened, disillusioned um, as as a citizen of, of our country because of, of everything that's been going on um, with the various elections. And, you know, everything is becoming in, going into a court battle at this point. And it's it just really, you know, disheartening for, for us to look at all of this. And one of the things I, I put a comment out to you on Twitter a little bit ago um, I mean, I'm a sci-fi geek. Growing up, I, I how about I really how about the uh, Superman interview then? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I, re I remember learning to read. I mean, I really learned to read with like Asimov and Heinlein. Mm -hmm. And one of one of the ideas that I really thought was intriguing was Heinlein's idea in the book Starship Troopers, where um, service got you citizenship, and then with citizenship you had the right to vote. So many people don't take the time to do their public service of voting that you know they might as well not have it whereas those of us who well, that's interesting time, whether it's voting whether is a public service like you did as, as, a, as a, a civilian counselor with you know the military or as i did 10 years active duty in the navy doing some sort of service for the public in that sense gives us to me more of a right to vote and that was that was kind of the, of the way heinlein had it in starship troopers you serve the community for whatever term, two years, five years, 20 years, however long. As soon as you start that service, you're guaranteed your citizenship. So what do you do, to the, pe what do, you do with the people who haven't established that yet for themselves or for us? They're residents. They're residents. They, they can basically live off, you know, live, live off society as they have been. I mean, how many people out of the United States really are voting right now? I, I haven't had time to look up the, the actual numbers, but, you know, even in the... It ain't pretty, man. It ain't pretty. Even in the best election years, it's barely barely a third, I think, of eligible. I, I manage a buddy's congressional campaign in uh, the 36th district here in Los Angeles in Southern California, and uh, mm -hmm. I think there was. Uh, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but my I think it was something like 600,000 voters, and uh, we expected that if we had 15 to 20,000, we'd we'd uh, make the runoff. Uh, I think, right. and I think there's a, a higher turnout than the special election they anticipated. But it's, but that's kind of typical, you know. The big, sexy presidential elections, you know, particularly when there's someone like Obama who's a, tr a mm -hmm. figure like that, you get more more turning out. But, but it's an interesting idea to make citizenship dependent on some kind of service. I mean, I, I liked the idea of, 
of having your college paid for if you after you graduate will give two years or will repay right. the debt with some sort of whether it's military service or being a teacher in a low income area or something like that which is which is right. uh, but but you know. So other countries do that. You know, um, I mean, I remember my, my mom and dad were teachers. And growing up, uh, they had worked with some exchange teachers from Germany and maintained a good relationship with them after they had gone back to Germany. And uh, their one son uh, has stayed close to one of my sisters. She's a bit older than I am. And he talked about how when he finished high school, he, in Germany, was mandated two years of service in a branch of the military in order to, you know, maintain his citizenship. Yeah, but that didn't that right. do, that wasn't uh that that wasn't a condition of his well, I mean, I guess if, if it's compulsory, I mean, Israel is compulsory, you know, the service. But I mean, don't you think it would create a two-tiered system where there'd be a second-class second-class citizen? I mean, slavery was an issue in this country, and there was a big war fought over that. And the idea of saying, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel like I feel like. The, 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 on, the, on the president's council that I served on, there was it was it was a two two piece deal. One was um, uh, service, and the other was uh, well, the president's council on service and civic participation. So the civic participation had to do with you know kind of go government life, and then uh, but that, that's not what the Bush folks wanted to focus on. They wanted to focus on this idea of Christian charity. That if you right. that if you give, and I kind of like uh, the the. The, the emotional component of it, that the reason you do it is because you get something out of it. It's, it, it, it's edifying to your soul to help somebody right. else, to sort of mm -hmm. hold a gun up to people and go, like, you want to vote in the next election to see whether or not you're going to have your taxes uh, increased. You know, forget about the Boston Tea Party. you gotta, you got to do so. You have to prove your vote. I mean, people want the freedom not to right. vote. Mm -hmm. Well, I, yeah, I, I understand, I, and I agree to that. I mean, people want to have something for what they give anymore. It, there really isn't, you know, the whole Kennedy ideal of ask not what your country can do for you, you know, because it, the way society is, has turned, you know, too many people are looking for that handout, looking for that. Well, you and I will lead the march, then. Back, you know, and, yeah. but, you know, and, and all I'm saying for the Heinlein idea is, and looking deeper into some of his, his philosophies behind it through other research I've done, um, he really wasn't looking at everyone had to serve in the military, but you had to do some sort of service, whether it was working as a secretary for a senator, you know, or, or working as a postal person, you know, yeah, teacher in an unserved area, a nurse in a in a place, you know, there's... anything anything that was a public service counted as the service, yeah, towards the society. Well, and here's my I think you make a great you know contribution to the conversation. Uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, uh Joe called in from Houston and said that he thought, you know, we should tax fat food and and it's one of those things that for 2 weeks I've been scratching my head thinking about that. You know, I didn't agree with it, but but he's got me thinking about it and and you're uh, your your offering here is uh, is certainly food for thought. I, I would just say, uh -huh. you know, having been played a great literary character of Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, I love the, it. The, right, thank you. So the the literature can do something that that uh, that movies can't do. They can really provoke a connection between your critical thinking skills, you know, uh -huh. that that your alpha waves that your brain uses. And and your heart and your soul, and they can really dig. But applying those ideas to practical life, I think, takes a great gob of work. And I think you're, I think you've started the work. But I, I think that it, it, with that concept, there's there's miles to go before we sleep. You know what I mean? Oh 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 yeah. I mean the the the, the, the 
the thought started not just from me, but from looking at like you know, like you brought up before, Kennedy. Mm. You know, and and looking at some of the other literary literary works about you know, like I, like I brought up Heinlein. You know, there is something starting there, and there are a number of people who are thinking there has to be something different. And I think this is one of the key. Well, I promise you. Occupy and Tea Party movements over the last couple of years is something has to change, and we're trying to do it in a nonviolent fashion. I think you're right on it, man. I think yeah. that, I think as I mean the, the way you connected those two things is having the same, you know, root of desire to get to something right, and and uh, mm -hmm. and that there's a a, a, a process underway. It's, I think that's absolutely right. And I just want to say before I before I jump back to my the second part of the interview with Mike Kennedy is. Don't lose heart entirely. I've traveled all over this country, and I've seen the uh, AmeriCorps kids or people. I've seen the Peace Corps. I've seen on countless university campuses days, Saturdays and Sundays, where students on their own free time will volunteer to go into the inner city or go into places and, and participate. I've seen church groups out there. there this, there's 300 million people in this country, more than that now, and, and uh, there's millions of them who understand this concept and are out there. And, and you know, it's, it's always, um, you know, I always, I, I see so often that people in those you know, endeavors want some kind of a brand, want some sort of national recognition. They want to know that not just they're being recognized for their work, but that there's some hope that it will extend beyond just their immediate experience. And and it, it often fails to get that, you know, to get some major movie star behind them or to get some major news network to cover it or be recognized as one of CNN heroes or something like that. But they're out there. They're doing the work. And, and so, you know, I think it's good for you to keep bringing it up. And, and, uh, and I really Hugh, I appreciate your call and thank you for your email and and, uh, and your your tweets and please keep it going. No problem. I look forward to hearing more and seeing you again soon. Thanks, you. Bye bye. All right. Wow. Uh, I'm starting to feel the rhythm of this show and right now I know that the listeners who are listening, their heads going up and down like, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good interview. Let me get back to Mike Kennedy. Uh, this is the second of two interviews uh, that we uh, this, the, the second half of the interview that I did with him the other day and. Uh, He's about to get into the more contentious stuff about what's going on with the city government. And, and uh, you know, this, this hopefully will provoke some thought. We'll take a, a call or two on the other side of the commercial afterwards, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll play the first of a, a four-parter with uh, a legend, an uh, 81-year-old legend. Um, okay, so let me go and jump right into the Mike Kennedy uh, part two. Is it going to come back? I mean, is, are there projections that say that, that this that this park is uh, is going to generate you know new businesses coming in, or it's going to generate some sort of income in some way, or is it? Or here's, is it what every, here's what city people for hundreds of years and states have realized, and more so in the last fifty years when you look at it. Great cities have great downtowns. You know, the, 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 a vibrant and thriving downtown area will drive commerce and economy much more than a lot of other things. And so public, uh, private investment often follows public investment. Six years ago, we built a brand new library next to this park, and it had many of the same detractors, and now the How usage of that is up about $6.5 million, okay. all told. Uh, and then, you know, you had, you had tremendous increase in usage and, and the number of programs they do down there. There are two new uh, multi-use projects, residential, commercial, 
that have gone higher up in the downtown area, which has been controversial too. But those things all sort of touch on a healthy and vibrant downtown, and those economic benefits trickle outward. That's my contention. Some would say that they don't agree with that, but I think the evidence bears it out. Um, so, you know, is, is there a cost per dollar benefit immediately if you do this, you will get that return? Well, no, and these kinds of things you, you can't or don't. But from an infrastructure perspective, we have to redo the road next to that park anyway because it's time. There's new plumbing that's needed. There's new uh, in the sidewalks and all that sort of thing that are needed. Um, infrastructure so what does below it feel like when you go to work? I mean, there's this re, uh, uh, this this court case about the re election results. There, is a, there's a recall in place, and uh, I mean, is, is it just a is there just a dark cloud going into the? <laughs> it feels like the seven plagues of Egypt. I've got. I'm waiting for locusts and toads to come next. But uh, it's it's a, it's hard to be a progressive thinker in a conservative place. And that isn't to say partisan, because a lot of my most staunch supporters and people that are absolutely opposed to this recall, you know, consider themselves Republicans, but they are looking towards the future for investment for 30 years and 50 years out instead of just, you know, today's economic well, that's interesting when you say that. That is really interesting to me. It seemed, what you, unless I misunderstand what you just said, and, and I want you to explain who some of those people are, because I know you have a lot of support, and I, I want the listeners to hear yeah. who that is. But it sounded to me like you were saying, based on the the content of the decisions that would be made, they want to support you, rather than on principle that you shouldn't willy-nilly try and recall people just because you don't like where they stand. You should, you know, that you know the, the normal course of action should be in the next election cycle. It, it, it's a little bit of both. Sean, because even though some of these folks that are supportive of the mayor and the three council members that are up uh, are um, different political parties and different political views, they absolutely feel just like you said. This is not – we are uh, – I have heard many people say, and I certainly feel this, that it's an abuse of the democratic process of a recall just to remove somebody because you haven't beaten them at the polls and you're trying to throw the kitchen sink at them. When you ask about who, we have a former lieutenant, Republican lieutenant governor of the state of Idaho who is four square opposing this recall and, and in support of you know, progressive thinking on the city. We have the Downtown Business Association, the Chamber of Commerce, our employees associations. We have the local tribal uh, council, the Coeur d'Alene tribe, our dear friends who've been very supportive of you know, city government, and we have worked closely with them. There's a lot of folks involved with it, and it's not just a small matter of who gets in the office or not because it affects economic development and other things. I think you have – what's interesting about it is that from, from your topic of um, trying to – how do we all get along, you know, the national toxic flavor that you see everywhere – does filter down to the local level, you know, and, and, I, and I really feel strongly that we have to agree on the, fa the basic facts before we can debate what we do with them. And I find that to be lacking even on the most basic of issues nationally, but certainly in this case. Is it a $40 million park or a $14 million park? Well, if, you're, if people won't agree on that basic fact, well, of course you're going to start throwing brick bats and calling, throwing out lies, you know, charges of lies back and forth. It can get very negative. I think that healthy debate needs to happen with basic facts. And I don't, secondly, and I think equally importantly, when you say, what does it feel like to go to work? Personalizing politics 
and making disagreements into sort of litigation and lawsuits and just scorched earth is a very corrosive thing. I find it hard to maintain a sunny demeanor, you know, when you're dealing with colleagues who you know are got knives out and stabbing in the back and uh, dealing with, you know, uh, people that have been on the other side of you for a long time. Now, that's you sign up for the job, and that's okay. But on a local level, it's different because you see people in the supermarket, whereas at the national level, you don't. And uh, yeah, you do. It can get yeah, you do. They see each other and they're they're slapping each other on the back and laughing and everything else. And you're looking at them saying like, "That guy, you, you just said you hate that guy. I don't understand." And now you're acting all friends. Well, I think I think there's less of that today. I mean, I, you talk to members of Congress, and I know you have that the chase for you know their their time and more raising money and trying to get on the TV than it is, you know, spending a weekend back in the Capitol together meeting other party families and getting together and sort of breaking bread and talking about issues. It's, it's a polarizing Well, it seems culture. to me like, and, and maybe it's replicated where you are, that they've got, you know, some of my congressional friends on both sides of the aisle have lots of friends from the other side, but they, they have to insulate themselves or protect themselves from the ones who are a little bit farther over who are really you know, kind of out for blood or, 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 you know, it's like rationality isn't the, the standard that they're using to communicate with. They're, they're just trying to, like, like you said, it's about, you know, shoring up their donor base or making it easier to, you know, sort, sort of, uh, get, get traction when they, when I they think get, you're right. I mean, the, the, the more is that what's going on there now? I mean, it sounded with all the people yeah. you said support, you, you, you know, stopping, not stopping the recall, but that are, that are not in favor of the recall. That, that it almost sounds like like it's both like the the people who are are putting it forward are way in the minority number one and but able to make a big a big splash because it's a small town right they just need to get twenty percent uh, you know signatures of twenty percent of the registered voters which is a high hurdle and they may not get there we don't know it's not been finalized yet uh, but the challenge becomes the, the we're one newspaper town like most. It's a small town. People talk. It seems to be consuming people's attention relative to politics more so than many other things have in the past because it's, it's it is so. It's, it's, it's e what I've noticed is when there's something easy for people to consider, you know, should this guy be in or out? And, and it's, a, it's a way to feel powerful because, you know, I mean, we have it here. And we, you know, California is all about the direct, uh, you know, is voting for specific uh, initiative initiatives and stuff, government. you know, instead of letting the government with, with, that is totally paralyzed, you know, fumble and try and wait to get certain things done. But then at the same time, when you do those initiatives, you cripple the government from being able to do anything because you, you've already obligated all the money. So that what do they, they just sit there and kind of watch it go, go by. But in this, in this scenario, people can feel like, uh, I mean, your name is Kennedy. You think that has something to do with it? Do you think the fact I mean, that you know what? Psychologically, yes. I mean, the, the Kennedys didn't do all that well in Idaho polling uh, <laughs> ever. I'm not related, but regardless, it's a proud, good Irish name. You make a really important point in that what are people elected to do? One of the things in contention here locally is that the majority of the council did not put this park up for a public vote. Now, Idaho statute doesn't require you to do that, and in fact, there's very little precedent of doing that. What you have to vote on is if you're giving away public property or you're bonding for future monies from that municipality. Um, it's been a challenge to explain that difference. So you, can't obligate, people, you can't obligate future expenditures without checking with the public. Correct. 
Correct. Idaho is a very strict law about that. But you don't have to and, check and, and with really, about how you spend the money that you already have. Uh, you do that via elections every two years. You know, I mean, you, you don't have how, to go to a referendum or so, or whatever. You don't have to... No, 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 no. But you can't obligate a future city council for, even for some major infrastructure projects. It's it's actually a, it's actually a limiting factor. And, and one which I agree mostly, there are times when you look at it, look, we need a new sewer plant. We have an unfunded mandate from the federal government. How do we do that? And, and, and if you if your people won't vote for it, even though you explain it as clearly as you can in a tough economic time, you might end up being ultimately at the point of a gun by a federal judge saying you're going to have to do this, and then you load people up with mandatory, you know, much much higher cost over a shorter period of time. It's governance 101. I mean, it's an absolute uh, challenge to meet all of it, and, and, and to me, that's the fun part. The down part is if you can't get people in the same room to speak on the same facts and to deal with it, as we talked about. Um, I, I think that we are elected to make decisions, including tough ones. And if those decisions are wrong uh, and you, or you don't like them, vote me out the next election. But a recall strikes me and many as the type of thing that is uh, – it's almost a third rail of politics because had they, by the way, wanted to There's just make this park. There's a lot of third rails. <laughs> There's a lot of third rails. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Those. But if they had wanted to make this park just about the park vote, they could have gone and done a citizen's referendum on the park. Instead, they went for a recall. I talked to people who signed the petitions who say, well, I just wanted to vote in the park. And I said, well, but if that goes to vote, you know that you'd be recalling us and you they'd appoint new people to be the mayor and city council. They said, well, I didn't want that. So there's misinformation out there, and it's just one of those challenging things in a democracy where you got to get a lot of different so voices. Do you, you have to spend to... money fighting it? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. You, you gotta, Not you, the court the, the, case. You talked about the court case. But, I mean... Uh, well, the, the court case, you know, was ultimately... I was personally uh, on the hook uh, for about $80,000 um, on a, you know, that's 10 years of a city councilman's salary. Now, I, it's a part-time job, theoretically. I work full-time otherwise. But uh, ultimately, I had to turn to the city and say, look, you guys, I, this is about my role as a city councilman. I need to get the city to pay for these lawyers because, you know, it's, it's unfair that you would dump that. You know, a citizen could basically tie up another elected official, local elected official, with those sorts of bills just on a political because it wasn't you. You weren't personally being accused of any any kind of wrongdoing. Correct. Anything. It was this. It was the process that was under under attack. Correct. But you. But it was you a as bizarre, a, It was the most bizarre feeling to sit in court <laughs> as the as a defendant. But the city was defending it, and my attorneys were up there working with the city when I hadn't done a darn thing wrong other than run for office and win. Many wags said to me, "Boy, you know, you would have saved yourself a lot of money if you just lost it by ten votes." Yeah, it's, it, that's not how government ought to be ought to be run. I mean, to me, that's a, that's an abuse of the system, and and um, it's not how fair-minded people operate. And that's really what you're talking about, the meeting. Or, what's, that's not always easy well, to get. Well, it's you think you're right. You know, when you think you're right and you think if you if you are patient and quiet and, and let the other person because they won the day or, or maybe won the day. I mean, the free my whole thing is free and fair elections. Like, you have to be civil, you have to be educated, and there has to be free and fair elections. So if what's at stake is people don't feel it was a fair election, man, that's a bummer. That's a bummer to have to fight that fight because, I mean, but for three years you'd think, uh, I mean, somewhere in there you won another election, right? No, uh, th that was two. Uh, it was it's two and a half years. If I, you know, assuming the recall, whether the recall goes through 
or not, there's going to be a vote this year on whether we would be retained. But I'd be up for election next year anyway. The Supreme Court may not hear this thing and may not rule until the year that I'm up for election again. So what has anybody gained by that? The process hasn't been improved because this last election here in the county, the new county clerk who ran on cleaning up the town, you know, was forced to admit that there was a bunch of mistakes in those elections, too. They just weren't close enough to make a difference as they were well, here. Four, three, They're four, naturally imperfect beasts. With five votes. With five votes would have, yeah. But, but, you know, again, at what point are you saying you guys are part of a grand, some people in this uh, group that's prosecuting the recall has Shouldn't suggested that there's some grand Shouldn't they have just held a new election, like said, let's, let's do a redo? If it's this close, I wouldn't have supported that because I won the election and I've got thirty-five. <laughs> I've got thirty-three hundred some voters who voted for me. Well, they vote for so, you again. I vote for perhaps, you. Perhaps, but you know, you know what's interesting? Well, that would be illegal because you don't live in the city, and that was another issue, by the way. There was there were some great constitutional issues because some of the people that voted were um, uh, living in Canada. That was one of the cruxes of this Canada's issue. Like five it's very close to Canada. You guys are in the panhandle, right? I mean, we're talking about... I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but once well, you're on the other side, you're on the other side. But they are still re American citizens. They haven't renounced their citizenship. They get to vote in our elections. So these folks were saying they should not vote in the elections because they're not here every day to know. And that that is a federal law. So we actually... Lawyers on, uh, on, one, on uh, watching this case told me later that it was actually quite fascinating because it's not often, and the judge mentioned this, that you're dealing with genuine constitutional civil rights issues in this sort of a deal. Well, so, look, you know, we've, we, I've, I've, blown my, uh, I've blown my time limit here by much, <laughs> so, but I, I just want to say that I, it's so fascinating to see real issues being talked about. It's, it's, it's immediate, it's specific, it's on the ground, you know, a parking lot, a waste management facility, uh, you know, yeah. if a guy lives, you know, Ten blocks that way, and he's across the border. Does he still? I just love it. I just love that you're that you're in that, and I I wish you. Uh, you're my man now. You're my man in Idaho. I'm going to be calling you for uh, for your your uh, your analysis. It's where the rubber meets the road. I'll, I'll I'll be your cousin Mike out in the sticks and uh, telling you what the blue blue view in a red state is. If they're if the dumb enough to toss you out, state. come down and work on the radio show. We could, we'd be a good radio show if you came down here. That'd be awesome. But I I think. All right, I'm going to just cut him off there. He goes on for 10 minutes about how great my brother Mackenzie is, who's not here right now. So he goes out and does a shout-out to Mac and tells him how great he is, and maybe I'll play that bit of the, uh, the end of the interview. But, Mike, uh, Kennedy, thank you, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. You're just smarty pants. Let me just say that. Uh, all right, we're going to go to a commercial break. 888-520-4374. If anybody has any thoughts on... Uh, public service on city government on uh, anything you've heard with Mike Kennedy today or uh, or Brandon uh, Ralph or, or anything else the calls that have come in we'll, I'm happy to take another call or two before we play uh, the the our our, uh, our signature interview the uh, the main course if you will uh, with uh, with Rosalind Wyman okay go ahead and uh, hit that commercial we'll see you on the other side this is Vox Populi my name is I don't know what. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hi, my name is Miles L. Berman. I'm known as Top Gun DUI Defense Attorney. We know how to fight your case and we know how to win. Me and my team of attorneys concentrate in representing people arrested for 
DUI. Call 888-4-TOP-GUN. That's 888-4-TOP-GUN. Or visit our website at topgundui.com. Because friends don't let friends plead guilty. Now back to Vox Populi. Here's your host, Sean Astin. Um, service is not only about running for elected office. Uh, there are many ways that women can serve. Ultimately, it is up to all of you and millions more like you around the world as to whether you walk through those doors. Uh, if you decide to serve, if in fact you dare to compete, uh, I believe doing so offers deep and lasting rewards. I believe you can and will make positive differences in people's lives. Um, that is the essence of public service. We need women at all levels of government, from executive mansions and foreign ministries to municipal halls and planning commissions, from negotiating international disarmament treaties to debating town ordinances. Women must also be fully integrated into efforts to negotiate and sustain peace after war and conflict. Public All right. There is uh, Hillary Clinton, um, Secretary of State. I think she's doing a fantastic job. Uh, this is a tough moment uh, in the four year, her four-year tenure because of what's going on in Syria. Uh, entire concept of American leadership in the world is... Uh, changing right now and I just saw read on the Washington Post that some UN observers came under gunfire going in to try and uh, get a get a look at what's going on, on the ground there so but um, I've heard Hillary speak a lot in a lot of forums on a lot of issues and, uh, and one of the things that always inspires me is when she talks about um, people particularly young people getting involved in the system and she always speaks in an optimistic and hopeful way uh, she's tough as nails, and so I was really happy to be able to play that uh, that clip of her promoting the idea of public service. Okay, so um, so I'm gonna I want to read two. I may not be able to find them, but there were two uh, tweets that came through. There's just been this really robust exchange uh, with people. Uh, Cecil B. Demented at CB underscore Demented has a lot of good things to say. I mentioned Scarlett Moriel, at Scarlett Moriel, um, M-O-R-I-E-L, uh, had some really cool things to say. Of course, uh, Linda, fan, uh, at Sean Aston fan, always has good stuff. Jason Swank, a, uh, a co, uh, a, a guest, what did I call you, a, an honorary or a guest uh, producer of the show, uh, is uh, just a flood of uh, articles and thoughts. Uh, Ravenna Neuron, uh, I want. I hope I'm saying Neuron. Ravenna Neuron at Ravenna Neuron. R A V E N N A N E R O O N. I really want to promote. You know, the lifeblood of this show is is as in terms of promotion is Twitter. It's the only place I've done any promotion other than what. Um, Frank and Heidi do before my show on their uh, their thing. So I think it was Cecil B. Demented here. So I, I want to uh, I just want to acknowledge that by by talking to some of these uh, stalwarts on the uh, ho at host Vox Populi Twitter strand. Um, so thanks you guys. It's a really robust, good exchange you have. It seems like um, education has really grabbed your 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 mind. So I'm watching that closely. Um, I'm not sure if it was Cecil B. Demented or not who said this, but somebody mentioned that 
in that model, that sci-fi model that Hugh is putting out there, that you don't lose all of your privileges uh, and entitlements, I guess. Uh, you just use the, lose the right to, uh, to vote. Um, which I thought was, uh, and he would sort of said that, but um, but anyhow, I, 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 that'll be a fun one to read. I might go read that. Um, and then Yoda uh, at Chabe C H A B E S underscore Yoda put forth uh, this fact: um, more th- more people voted in 2011 American Idol finale than in the 2008 presidential race, and the 2008 presidential race was historic uh, in terms of its output. So I think uh, if we just put some of the American Idol kids singing about you know water treatment plants and stuff, we might actually have something. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go now to uh, an interview. I was so oh, just so excited to, to be able to, to, to get this guest. She's uh, 81 years old. She's a legend in Los Angeles politics. Uh, Sometimes a very controversial figure throughout her career, um, but it's it's uh, we talked for we talked for a good long time. So I've actually broken it down into four uh, four parts. Uh, Rosalind Wyman uh, talked to me uh, two days ago, and I'm going to play right now part one. I don't know if we're going to get through part two today, but uh, we're going to roll these out. It's just you know the first part is her biography and then she holds no punches just absolutely the uh, what makes her i think so effective is everything she says she brings right back to something that's actually happening uh so it's a great lesson not just for an 80 year old woman but for any uh buddy of any age to to try and make sure that your philosophy and your and your life are relevant to what's happening uh in the world and around you right now here it is rosalind wyman part one how, how can one describe you? You are an absolute force of nature uh, in, the, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm sure, but, uh, but for the sake of this political show, in the, in the peri- uh, political realm, you're born in 19, the year of our Lord, 1930, and so you've had a front row seat to an unbelievable, uh, you know, 80, 82 years of, uh, of life in, in Los Angeles. We both love this, uh, this city very much. We're both from this city. Um, of course, you're a, a USC girl, and I'm from the other side of town. But we won't get we won't get into that straight away. Um, your biography is so spectacular. I just sort of cherry picked a few things to to mention before we started talking. But one is that you got a bachelor of science in public administration in 1952, which um, I want to ask you about. You're the first uh, woman city council member in something like 37 years when you uh, were elected in just out of your senior year and. In college, which is uh, another extraordinary thing, you had a, a pivotal role in bringing the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, west from Brooklyn, which uh, which I know was uh, filled with all kinds of excitement and controversy. And and uh, but as a lifelong Dodger fan from Los Angeles, I, I, I thank you for your uh, your part in that. You uh, became um, later in your career, I guess, a a major party fundraiser, a chair uh, woman and chief executive of uh, at least one. Democratic convention that I know about in San Francisco in 1984, but maybe maybe one other as well. Um, you're a perennial convention delegate, which I think is fascinating. I'm going to ask you about. Um, very active in women's rights and Jewish advocacy. You were appointed to UNESCO and the National Endowment for the Arts. You're a movie executive, a consultant to Mayor Bradley. You co-chaired uh, 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 Senator Feinstein's 
at least one of her campaigns, maybe two. Holy all ma- of them. Whole, all of her campaigns. Okay, well, holy mackerel. All of her Senate campaigns and and uh, the part of her governor's race. Well, I suppose the the logical, obvious first question is, what animates your your drive to participate in 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 this way over over time with such uh, consistency and and high level of achievement? Well, I would have to say it was my mom. My mother was a very activist woman. She was a registered pharmacist. Uh, she became a registered pharmacist after I was born. Um, because my, they had a mom and pop drugstore. My father was a druggist too. And uh, she had to relieve my dad so he could, uh, you have to have a registered pharmacist in the pharmacy. So she went to night school and became a pharmacist. And uh, my dad and mother were quite um, special. Uh, but my mother was a real activist and they turned their drugstore which went into Roosevelt and Garner headquarters in 1932 and in my baby book you see me by a little billboard of Roosevelt that most kids don't have that in their baby book <laughs> but my mother would uh, get from that uh, the soda fountain and my mother would get from the ice cream companies and the pie companies and whatever to leave her a little something and she ran a card game uh, where they would play bridge or, or whatever the the thing was and they would take like the charge she would charge 50 cents think of it what they raised today 50 cents to come and have refreshments and when you play cards after the store closed and um, that's how they ran a campaign out of there in 1932 yeah and we listened to the fireside chat as a child and i wrote to roosevelt as you would write to an uncle and um, when I decided to run at 22 for the city council, my mother said, go for it. My dad said, I don't know, it's such a tough business. Mm-hmm. But uh, we turned, I, I was still, I was just ready to move out of home, uh, the house. Uh, my brother had returned from service, and so um, we needed to help him with his family. And so uh, the headquarters was my home. I didn't leave where I was reared as a young girl, and that became the headquarters because we had no money to run for the city council. And I walked uh, like five, six hours a day, door to door, and we had a little bar of soap to clean up the city. Going back to your parents, did you did your political philosophy? I'm assuming it, it started out very much in line with theirs. Did you ever have a a, a substantive break with their poli- political feelings, or were they pretty much in agreement with as you developed and got you know the experience that they never had? Did did they did they appreciate or push back at all on your on your developing political ideologies and philosophy? None. They were they were uh, caring people. They understood they, uh, the, the needs. Uh, they said when the drugstore closed, often they would feed the people who couldn't afford to uh, eat. And also, it's an interesting story, which you, your, your family might be interested in, is that in, uh, we had a store then in Hollywood across from Schwab's up at, on Sunset in Laurel Canyon. And he had some of the blacklisted writers and directors and actors who they also fed when um, that horrible thing was going on in the industry. So, um, But there was never any other issue, like city issue, that came up where they thought, hey, you're sort of taking the wrong approach on that? 
Never. And in fact, my mother, when we tried to, when we were doing the Dodger fight to bring the Dodgers from, I wanted a major league. Uh, so you weren't major league without a major league ball team. And Can you get a football team I, out here? <laughs> yeah. And I, when we were in that fight, and they were holding meetings, you know, when we had a referendum, and my mother went and was 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 the interested party who would listen and tell us what was going on in the opposition. Nice. And so she she was quite an activist and. Um, so was my father in his way, but not quite as active as my mother was. Wow. Do you, do you remember in your first, uh, city council campaign, do you remember what the, what the numbers were, what the margin of victory was, or how many people voted for you, or that kind of stuff, or is it too long ago? Well, uh, you know, I can't remember at this point, but I do remember in the primaries, we won by, uh, the runoff, to be in the runoff, there was eight or nine people running, and... Um, I didn't have a chance. Nobody paid any attention to me, you know, because I just graduated SC and was supposed to go off to law school and then never went and ran instead. And uh, we, run, we won the primaries by 99 votes. So to be in the runoff, um, that I remember. But I can't remember we won by um, a nice little vote. It was kind of, it was a big upset. And the headlines were at the time, it's a girl. <laughs> and when I gave birth to my first child, it was City Dad gives birth. Wow. So we had a lot of firsts. <laughs> wow. Well, I, um, you know, I just, I just think about 1952 and the war was over and the boom was starting and, and, uh, the it, progress. I mean, there's, there, and, and also there must have been a lot of corruption at that point in the, uh, I don't know about the police department, but city government. I mean, did you, was that one of your, uh, issues? No, there wasn't. Uh, Sean, there wasn't corruption at that point. There had been corruption in the city prior to my election. And in fact, it was really relatively uh, cleaned up. Uh, that's how Mayor Bowen, who who had run prior to my times of running, and he was a reformist mayor and uh, really cleaned the city up. And we were so different than, you know, like East, there was no... Uh, you couldn't buy jobs. You didn't do any of that. And we had, um, uh, during my period of being in office, I must say it was, was relatively, totally almost clean of any type of corruption during my years wow. in office. Wow. What a thing to and hear. It, it was really nice. We're talking about the city of Los Angeles, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the city of LA. Oh, and my goodness. it was, just wasn't, um, 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 there was a huge election where Mayor, Mayor Bowen lost in the year I ran for office, in a, and we had a Mayor Polson, and he was a very conservative Republican. He'd been a congressman, and I didn't think we'd have any issues that we cared about together, but we ended up, he had daughters, and I was so young <laughs> that um, we, we really got along extremely well, and he knew if I gave my word to something that it wouldn't change and that unless the facts changed but that we had a very good working relationship in those days it wasn't as mean it seems to me as it is in politics today i mean i cannot believe the ugliness of uh, the national issues yeah. and even locally you know i mean the you know we had camaraderie and you know, the great stories of Tip O'Neill and Reagan. You know, they could disagree and then they'd go out and have a drink or whatever. 
But in the city hall um, in those days, we it wasn't uh, quite as nasty in a sense uh, as it sometimes becomes. But uh, the national scene right now, I've been at it 60 years, and I've never seen anything like this, never, ever, and it's really scary. Well, we'll go into that. I mean, this this show is all about trying to create a place where people can express themselves with differing opinions and, and do it with it with civility and and really try and learn from each other. Most people don't change their minds when they're on a talk show or when they're you know ever. <laughs> Not, it's a rare thing to see people change their minds, but but um and and it's it's funny because it takes not just patience to be quiet and listen to somebody who you completely disagree with, and that's hard enough, but. But to just realize that it's possible to speak without vitriol. People don't even know how to do it. They, we, I have a hard time trying to figure out how to, you know, we're so used to framing things or talking about things in terms of what the other person didn't do. And, and, and when it comes down to being specific about what we'd like to do with, a, with an education, uh, you know, platform or something like that, we, we realize that detail is really the devil and you, and you have to... Uh, and we don't know that much. Most people don't know that much. That's what I'm learning doing this show is I don't know anything. I thought I knew everything, but I don't know anything. Well, Sean, they really don't. And some of the ballot measures that the people are asked to vote on is just terrible in the sense that they don't have enough uh, knowledge. They don't have enough material sent, uh, local issues, you know, they get on the ballot. Sometimes it's just terrible. In fact, this primary in California right now is, is really kind of weird. Uh, your primary means nothing. Uh, and the voters voted it in thinking they're, they've, they, you know, done something positive. And it's anything but positive. And, uh, uh, you know, as I say, I, I, I also believe greatly in compromise, uh, that if you build, you know, one year you build a, uh, you know, one issue certainly doesn't compare to national issues. But, for example, we had a Greek theater in Los Angeles that we owned, and it was in disrepair. And uh, I saved, you know, each year a little money because I wanted to have a great Greek theater where the people could go and enjoy. And I saved money every year. And I built a little bit one year, and I built a little bit the next year. And you built upon it. And I think uh, I'm very close, as you mentioned. I chaired all of as a volunteer, not paid, as Diane Feinstein's campaigns. And Senator Feinstein is a great believer. If she can get, you know, she's the per first person to ever get. Um, I'm, I'm awful, awful city issues, but gun control. And when she got to Congress, even Teddy Kennedy and Joe Biden, who were her friends, sat with her when she went to do gun control because she had had some very bad examples in San Francisco and some very bad shootings. And she was willing to go across the aisle and try to see why people wouldn't vote for it. And then she would even go so far as to take herself over to the House of Representatives Representatives to see Henry Hyde, who was the chairman of the Judicial Committee, an arch conservative, but he had had a big shooting in his district. And when uh, the senators, the other senators, said, "Well, you, you know, you'll never get him," well, she went over to talk to him, and she got the first gun control ever in in the Congress. Mm -hmm. She couldn't renew it, but she, you know, in other words, you get a piece of something, and 
you talk to your colleagues and you see compromise is, is one of the best words I know in politics. Compromise is one of the best words I know in politics. There it is. Rosalind Wyman, part one of four. I'm thinking Frost Nixon. I mean, listen to this lady talk. She's unbelievable. She's 81 years old, and she is just agree with her or disagree with her. And I'm sure she's got a lot of detractors out there because of how uh, you know vehemently she she prosecutes her her point of view. But she's just staggeringly intelligent and so helpful. And I think uh, there are lots of people like this in the in the political world. But uh, I'm I'm blessed to to be able to have uh, to have been able to interview her. So uh, I have three minutes and a hard out. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to bait one evil mofo, otherwise known as uh, Twitter handle at evil underscore mofo, to call in. This Twitter follower has, he says that if I, he's a Philadelphian, if I bring up the Constitution of the United States, uh, which is that he'll call right away, he apparently gets angry. And, and relies heavily on really intense, you know, kind of, I don't know if it's abusive, I don't know if it's hostile. The way you make it sound on Twitter, it's got, it's got to be really bad. But I am, I am just determined to help you, you know, f- f- shape your uh, point of view, because you clearly have a very strong point of view. Uh, I'm tempted, I've taken the oath to the Constitution of the United States uh, twice, once in the Oval, once in the Roosevelt Room adjacent to the Oval Office and once in the Pentagon, and, and I, I, would, I will and would defend the Constitution of the United States uh, to my death. But boy, do I want to say something bad about it just to get you to call. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, something like not worth the paper it's written on or needs to have, a, you know, in the, the uh, movie parlance and television parlance of today. You know, it needs a reboot. You know, let's, you know, how do you feel about revising the, you know, the constitutional amendments? We should have more of them. All right. I've, I've, I've laid down the gauntlet. I have two minutes. I don't even have time to talk to you now, but I certainly hope that I see now that you get out of work at the, uh, the bottom of the second hour. And, uh, I don't know your name yet at evil underscore mofo, but I am, uh, the gauntlet is thrown. You better call next week. I want to very quickly say thank you, uh, to Jason Swank. My other Republican uh, stalwart for sending in those great clips uh, that we that I was able to play of um, of all those uh, leaders, national leaders. Uh, he saw what the topic was and he chased him down. And he sent him over and Jason, thank you for that. Please keep doing it. Uh, Ashley Swearingen is one of the uh, one of the the uh, toad a uh, toad uh, hop network folks. Also, uh, Gint Gedgaudas. Ged Gaudis, is that right? Who is our uh, engineer? Michael Medved, thank you so much for putting the word out on your show uh, so that I can get some conservative ears. Uh, everyone contributing on Twitter, uh, my wife, my children. Uh, I don't know. I'll just thank everybody. I had a great time this week, and you can look forward to more Rosalind uh, uh, Wyman next week. It's, I promise you, really, really fun. Sean Aston. Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people on the Toad Hop Network. Episode 6, done. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.